Good morning, everybody. Man, it is so good to see you guys here because if you weren't here, there would be no reason to be here. I mean, we have, we've come together in Jesus' name to worship him. Amen? And so thank you so much for, you know, waking up today, hearing the rain, right? You could hear it. You might have been able to hear it even on your roof and you're laying there in bed if you're, you know, you've got an upstairs bedroom and you're thinking to yourself, it's still raining, but I'm going to get up out of bed and I'm going to come worship God today. And I just want to say congratulations to you guys. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you are a guest with us today, wow, thank you so much. You guys could have been going to a number of other great churches that we do have in our community. Uh, but when walking through our doors, we consider you to be like a gift from God. And we want to make sure that we take care of you to the best of our ability. Uh, so please know that we do have a number of people that are around. They're called hosts. Uh, they've got uh, lanyards on. They're here to serve you and to help you in any way, uh, any way that they can. Uh, but listen, as we, as we get started here today, um, we're going to get started a little differently than we typically do um, in one of my sermons. Uh, what I'd like you to do first and foremost is go to your bulletin, and I need you to pull out something out of that bulletin that was strategically put in there today, because today we're kicking off a brand new campaign called Pave the Way, all right? Pave the Way is a brand new campaign that was uh, established really by our, our membership base back in January. And we looked at some statistics on our church and how our church ebbs and it flows and it, it grows uh, to a point and then it, it seems like it kind of like plateaus and then it, it grows and it plateaus and there's a moment when it kind of dips and then it comes back up. It's just a, it's a pretty pretty traditional type of a growth trend, um, which is, it, tell, it told us that there are some bottlenecks. There are some places in our organization called the church, which would involve our leadership and involve our facility that are hindering us from becoming all that God wants us to be. One of the issues that took place was this. We launched the venue um, now, actually, t- over two years ago, and God's doing great things in the venue. There was about uh, 220 people that were actually worshiping down in the venue last Sunday at 1045. So again, let me just remind you, you might look around this room right now and go, this feels a bit sparse. And you know what, today it feels a little more sparse than normal. But you're only sitting in one, one worship service of four worship services that will happen today. Uh, only one of them. And what happened was that when we launched the venue and people started coming, well, we took a hit in our main auditorium when we did that. But now, now the venue has grown beyond what we started with, numbers-wise, and the main auditorium at 1045 has grown back to where it was before we ever launched the venue. So both have grown now, and it's been quite fun to watch as God keeps bringing people and people's lives. Remember, remember when we talk about numbers, numbers getting back to where they were, those numbers represent people. Every person has a story, and stories matter to God. That's the bottom line. Um, and so what we've, what we've done to ourselves, though, is that we've created a, a deficit in, in parking. That means that the ratio of seats that we can hold here in our main auditorium and down in our venue is greater than our parking lot will actually contain. Uh, those numbers have all been ran. There's been months and months and months of study on that. There's actually been a year's worth of even counting where we're at, at 11 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, we had someone counting for about a year, and here's what we discovered. We discovered we had about a 7% 
a 7% opening or vacancy of parking uh, during our 1045 worship service. And people still come in at 11, by the way. So here's the problem. 7% is very, very small uh, when it comes to open parking for people that are looking for a place that will park and then come into a facility. Typically, you're looking for around 20%. Um, And so at that 7% vacancy, we had tons and tons of seats still available. And that's when it all started really to dial in and help us understand that our greatest problem right now with our, with our growth isn't what we can contain in our facility, it's what we can do for parking on our property. And so in our members meeting, it was approved by our membership body that we would move forward with the campaign that we call Pave the Way. Here's what Pave the Way really is going to help us with. Pave the way, you're looking at the church now from from the west. Uh, We're going to add more parking all along the west, and we're going to add two new entrances in here at the west. If you want all the details about this project, please go to mynewlifechurch.com and click on Pave the Way. But here's the beauty of, of of these parking spots. It is actually going to be flat. Flat parking, which if you know anything about our property, there's not a lot of flat parking on our property. This parking that will happen right out here, which an entrance will be right through our lobby, right on the other side of that wall, and another entrance will be down here in our classroom space, is going to make ideal parking for ADA uh, parking. So if you need ADA parking, this is where the best parking is going to be. It's going to be feet from the building. I mean, you're just going to be, bam, right into the building. Uh, Tons of senior parking is going to be provided back here because it's all going to be flat. And you're going to be able to park right there in just a matter of feet. You're right into the building. It's going to be a very, very beautiful uh, scenario. Now, here's, here's the deal, though. That's kind of what we need. We need more parking. And to do that, we're going to add two entrances. But what really gets us excited as a church is where we're going, though. This is just phase one of what we want to do in the future. All right, And in the near future, not long distance into the future, in the near future, what we really feel like we need to do here at this property is we need to do this. We need to add a new face to this building. We need to add a space out here that takes our, our lobby space and it maximizes it greater than what we have right now. Right now, there are moments at, at that 1045 interchange where there are some moments when things are just sheer packed out. We've done everything we can to clear the corridor, things that aren't even smart to do, like with welcome centers that aren't right there when you walk in the door. We've shoved them over to the side and tables in small different little areas to try to maximize the space for people to uh, interchange with one another on our maximum days around this place, which have been happening often. We, We feel like that to get to this place will help us to create a atmosphere to develop healthy community in our church. It will give us a place to develop healthy uh, fellowship in our church. It will give us the opportunity to have the kind of facility that was built here back in the early 1980s. The founders of this church called New Life, who moved who moved from a school that they were meeting in up to this property and built the original facility. If any of you guys know anything about that original facility, it was a full face of glass, very much like this will be again. A full face of glass. You know why that was all glass? It was all glass because the original people that built this back in the early 1980s, this was part of the mandate. We want people to look in as they drive by. We want them to see the new life that's happening on the inside. Now, 
when, when we came up with the, the conceptual drawings to make this glass and to see in again, I remember sitting in a board meeting with a man that I love, Monty Standage, who was on our deacon board at the time. And I watched him as he stirred with a little of excitement, going, That's, that was the vision that we originally started this place with. And we're going to go back to that original vision. That's what we're going back to. Because there is new life, spiritual new life that's happening inside of this place that when people drive by, we want them to see it. We, want to, we don't want to hide it from them. We want, them, we want it to be on the forefront. We want it to be out there in the front edge, exposing that to people, that this is a place that God's doing incredible things. So this Pave the Way campaign is making room for more to come. That's the whole goal. Pave the Way campaign makes more room for people to come so that they can fill these seats and see their lives transformed just like you are experiencing that. So that we can grow and continue to become the church God wants us to be and not hold ourselves back from what God really wants us to be. So why start over here? Well, because we need the parking first so that we can fill more seats. So then it creates even a greater problem in our lobby and then we'll build the lobby. But when we build the lobby, how in the world are we going to get into this place? We just take all of our, all of our doors and we just close them as we, as we bust out the whole front of the building. These doors back here are going to become very significant. And this parking over here is going to become highly significant. One of the things that we get to do with this parking over here on the west is that we paid as a church years ago to pave this road. I think it's called 28th. We paid to pave that road. Now we're only 16 or 17 cars are parked on it because we tell volunteers to park out there so that there's more room at 1045 for people to park in the actual slots. Now we'll be able to park on that entire road because that entire road has, a, has an ordinance on it that allows us to park on both sides of the road. You'll be able to park on that road and enter into this building faster than you'll be able to park in the first tier down on the front and enter into the building. It is going to be some very, very nice parking that we're going to be able to provide. This kind of campaign, Pave the Way, is going to ignite a passion in many people as they come onto our property and they find a spot and they walk into our facility and they find their way into a seat in a balcony or on the lower level, especially at that key moment, 1045, and they're going to find Jesus and their life is going to be transformed. So we're paving the way for more to come. That's why I said to you last week and I'll say again to you this week, thank you so much for attending the nine o'clock service. I just don't understand. I don't think you understand the significance that if you didn't attend nine o'clock here, then we wouldn't have enough room for everyone at 1045. So by you attending 9 o'clock, you're already a part of this Pave the Way initiative to make more room for people to come. But now I'm going to ask you, like I've, like I've been praying for Kim and myself and what, how we're going to be a part of it, I, I want you just to pull out this Pave the Way card, if you will. And this Pave the Way card is really a way for you and I to commit together so that we can conquer this project. This project is, although it sounds minor, it's not minor. It's going to cost somewhere around $750,000 to add that parking and to add those entrances. You know that today there's nothing that's cheap, right? But this is, this is long-term vision. This is not short-term vision. 
This is not just put a band-aid on something. This is phase one of something much greater to come so that we can continue to be the church that influences our community, that's attractive, that people walk into this place and they find a life that's transformed by Christ. So how can you be a part? There's three simple ways you can be a part. Number one, if you're not a current tither, my first challenge to you would please, please be a tither. Please be someone that trusts God with 10% of your finances. And you could mark that box right there. On top of our tithe and our offering, or top of our tithe, excuse me, there's an offering of pave the way. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Take a step of faith with me today. Consider with me, how could you be a part of helping us create more room of paving the way for more to come? How could you do that? And then maybe you could just mark that. We're looking for people to make a three-year commitment monthly, you know, so that we can, we can start this project immediately. We're all prepped. We're all ready. We've got all the documents. Everything is lined up. Everything is squared up. We're, we've got all the checks and the balances done. We're, we're ready to go. Right now, what we're hanging on is our congregation stepping up to the plate and going, I'm going to make this commitment so that more can come and hear Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, that commitment, we're looking for those things to start even uh, next month in May or as soon as possible, obviously. Um, and then the last way is to pray. Pray for God's leading as we pave the way for more to come. And then there's a name and an email. I'm going to give you the rest of this service to really ponder that, consider it, and just to think about what does God really want you to do in, in, in regards to the next step in our facility so that we can make more room for people to hear the good news of Jesus. And as you, as you ponder that and you consider it, then maybe you can pray a little bit about what God wants you to do. And during our worship time, I want to give you an opportunity today. You'll be the very first people, the 9 o'clock on today, you know, April 17th, to be able to respond to this. Um, but I'm going to ask you if you would, that you would take this card and you would bring it down and you would lay it on this altar during our time of worship later on. And you would take those few moments to pray. You know, pray between you and God. Pray with you and your spouse. Figure out what you might be able to do to help us conquer this. Now, if you're new to our church, you need to know something. All of this facility that you walk in and you, you experience, at some point, Pastor Wine stood up in front of this congregation and he challenged us, let's be a part of advancing God's kingdom by adding on to this facility and here's how we're going to do it. And I just gave you that same, that same spiel, just gave you that same picture, right? But if you're new here, all of this was built by faithful, devoted people, Right? If you're new and you've never been a part of one of our building campaigns, my challenge to you is jump in now. Be a part of this one. Be a part of this one. The last one was for children and for youth. This one's for everybody. And the next one to come is for everybody. Jump in and be a part of it. Let's be a generous people. Let's take a step of faith. Now, when you give to pave the way, you, when you go online as an example, which many of you give online, you're not going to find pave the way. Because pave the way is a building fund campaign. Uh, so when you go, you give towards the building fund. When you look at an offering envelope that might be sitting in front of you, you don't see tithe and pave the way on it and missions. You see tithe and the building fund and missions. So my encouragement to you is that if you're going to give to pave the way, whether it's a big one-time gift or it's monthly or however God speaks to you, because somehow God's going to help us and we're going to come up with this $750,000 and we're going to you know, keep moving forward with this thing, that when you do that, you give to the building fund. Now, if you do that, and all I could ask you to do is pray about that, um, that would be very, very encouraging. So what I'd like to do is just stop for a moment before I get into the rest of the sermon and just pray. 
pray that God would speak to us and that you would listen and that I, Jeff Baker and Kim Baker, we would listen to God and that we would make a step of faith, something that seems somewhat daunting, seems what a little bit impossible because, guys, we want to pay this thing off quick. We want to get on to, get on to some other things as well uh, with planting churches and we don't, we don't ever want to get bogged down in just, you know, you know a facility thing. It's got to have purpose to it. This one has purpose. Save and seek the lost. Make more room so that people can come. Let's pray. Father, back in January, as the members of this church heard about this campaign, Lord, there was an excitement in their hearts. Something stirred inside of their hearts as they realized that we needed to make more room for people to come. Lord, thank you for this beautiful facility that you have given us and for all of the ways that we can seat people in it and the creativity like of the venue that we can use to communicate the gospel. Thank you for all of those things. Now, Lord, a very practical piece. We need the parking now to, to match the ratio of our seating so that more people can come. We found a bottleneck. Thank you for helping us to see that. Now, would you speak to our hearts Lord, would you challenge us as individuals on what we can do to be a part of advancing your kingdom in this day. Lord, from those that are new to our church to those who have been around forever, Lord, thank you for the faithful that have gone before us. And Lord, may we step up to the plate today and be faithful before you. Lord, in seeing seeing these parking spots put in and these entrances made so that more people can fill this place and hear about you. That's who we want to be. That's how we want to live our lives. Now may you lead and may you guide us. And everybody said, amen. Remember, pave the way. Pave the way. It's, 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 an ignition, it's an initiative to ignite passion for Christ within people. So with that said, let me make this segue. All right, pave the way. There's another guy who was on a road one day. His name is Saul. Saul was paving the way, all right? Saul was paving the way in Acts chapter 9, trying to persecute Christians, right? He was paving the way to try to drive people away from from the cross instead of driving people to Jesus. And he found himself laying flat on his back on the pavement because because of his disobedience to God. That's, that's where he found himself. So in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, we find that Saul is in this place in Jerusalem, which is where I'm going to go for today's text. He's in this place in Jerusalem where he is, he's been persecuting Christians. He has been you know, standing there as, as Christians, like Stephen was martyred. And um, you know he, he was pro the, the killing and the persecution, the jailing of Christians, making it very difficult upon them. He didn't want to see this Jesus movement, the people of called the way, to rise up anymore. He, he found it to be very foolish. He found it to be you know, very anti what he, was, what he stood for. And so he was going to do everything in his power to just breathe murderous statements upon those who would stand up and say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. He goes, Paul, Paul has, or Saul, excuse me, has such authority that he makes his way to the high priest. He stands at the, in the presence of the high priest and he says to him, hey, listen, I, I need a letter because I need to go to Damascus because I've heard that there are Christians up there that are stirring up some issues in the church uh, or with, with the people and they're stirring up Jesus. 
you know, and they're causing problems. I want to go up there and deal with those guys once and for all. I, if I have to kill them, I'll do it. Um, otherwise, I will imprison them and I'll bring them back to Jerusalem. And he gets the letter. So Saul is a man of great authority. He's a man of, you know, high esteem. He's a man of great education. Uh, Saul is a man that's being looked to as a religious leader of his day amongst the Pharisees and the Sadducees, amongst the Jewish culture, you know, standing, standing there or sitting, living there in, um, in Israel. And so here he, here he takes off with his entourage and he makes his way up there. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that as he makes his way close to the city, a bright light shining like the sun knocks him down to the ground and begins to speak to him. It's so bright, you can only imagine. If you had to look into the sun, what would you do with your eyes? You would close them. His eyes are closed. They're closed shut. And he's just there, and he's like, oh, man, it's intense. And he hears this voice, and so does everyone else that's with him. Hears the voice, but no one sees the light except for Saul. The voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Wow, guys. I don't know about you, but man, if if I'm in a spot like that where I get knocked to the ground and I hear a voice and the voice describes himself as Jesus, the very one I've been persecuting, man, I'm going to think, did I just fall off my horse and hit my head on a rock or what happened? And in that moment, Jesus speaks to him, Not very long, but he says these words to him. Get up and go into the city, Saul. And when you get in there, I I will tell you more about what's getting ready to come. And so the Bible tells us that he, he got up and he was led into the city because when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. And his his partners around him, they grab him by the arms and they lead him into the city and they find the place for him to rest. And he rests there, and he doesn't eat for actually three days. Three days. Something happens to this man named Saul, though, that transforms his entire life. In this moment, when this bright light shines, and he's knocked to the ground, he's never the same again. He has this ignition moment with God that transforms his life, and it it alters his passion. That his passion gets literally transformed. So what is it about him What does he experience and what is it, maybe more importantly, that Saul has to do to maximize this ignition moment of passion in his life? The first thing that he had to do was he had to pick himself up. He just had to flat pick himself up. There he was laying flat on the ground. Jesus spoke to him and he's got to take, he's got to, he's got to take some action and he picks himself up off the ground. What's significant about that? Well, take a look at the scripture. It says that Saul, after that moment, Picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions, they led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. First thing is this. You need to understand that when his eyes were closed, he literally saw Jesus. Now, Saul says to us in um, in 1 Corinthians that he saw Jesus a couple of times. In 1 Corinthians, he goes, I saw Jesus. And he says that a couple of times, excuse me, going back to this moment in Acts chapter 9. Now that's significant for you and me to know that he saw Jesus, he heard from Jesus. Because that was a big altering, life-altering moment for, his, for himself. And, and Saul goes on to write many, many of the books in the New Testament 
He has a personal encounter with Jesus. But Saul, he was leading this group of people to go persecute Christians. But now Saul finds himself being led because he can't see and he can't make his way. So here's a man who was in charge, but now is a man who's not in charge. Here's a man who could see physically everything that needed to happen. Now is a man who's blind, who can't do anything. So he was being, he was leading, he was the leader, and now he happens to be the follower. Saul was also a man who was going in to arrest Christians, but now he finds himself arrested by Christ. And what does Saul do? This great man of authority and power, he follows the words of Jesus. And he, in verse 6, he gets himself up and he makes his way into the town and he waits for those three days. You can only imagine what was happening during those three days. Three days of darkness, three days of no food. What would you be doing during those three days? If you were Saul, wouldn't you be thinking about, wouldn't your mind just be racing with the thoughts of, man, here I have lived my life to persecute Christians and now I'm sitting here having just spoken to Christ himself. I mean, that would be something I would be thinking about. Here I have been, you know, thinking that I've studied all these things and I've become so smart only to realize how little I know. Wouldn't that have been a moment? Here I have been living my life to go out and to hunt these guys down with all this rage and with all this anger and has been misguided and misdirected. I'm sure there was a roller coaster of emotions that took place for him of, you know, great failure. Like, how, how could I miss it? How could I have missed? I knew, I, I saw Jesus. I, I even heard him. He, he disgusted me with every word that he said. How could I have had a heart that was like that? He would be questioning his own spirituality, questioning his own heart. You know, here he is. We know in verse 11 of Acts chapter 9, what, what he was doing was this. He was praying. We know that because that's even what God's word says. So in this moment of praying and this spiritual battle and this psychological battle that's going on and the enemy's right there whispering right into his ear, letting him know how much of a failure that he is. Letting him know, you know how, how he's blown it. He's led these guys all the way up to Damascus and now he's the one that's going to have egg on his face. He's the one that's going to have to admit that he was wrong. He's wrestling through his pride to get to a place of humility. Just getting up off the ground was a wrestle of humility. A man of great power and authority, but yet couldn't keep himself off the ground. A man of great power and authority, but couldn't open his own eyes back up to see again clearly. And as he laid there in the darkness for three days with just pondering what was going on and thinking about there was something that triggered in his heart and his heart started turning to God. He starts, and he just finds himself praying Praying like he's never prayed before. Oh, he's prayed a lot of prayers. He was a Pharisee. He stood in front of a lot of groups and prayed some pretty awesome prayers. He probably had a tongue that could make some words come out like you've never heard before. He could probably sway together and put together some religious terms that you and me would just still question to this day. Like, what in the world does that mean? And he would know exactly what it means. But he never prayed like he prayed those three days. These three days, these were a time of prayer that was very personal, very engaging, very interactive. 
That's what was going on in his life at that moment. He began to really know the Father. Not just know about the Father. He knew a lot of knowledge about the Father, but in those three days, he came to intimately know the Father. He knew about Jesus, but now he's come face to face with Jesus. And along this prayer point, this three days, Saul comes to the moment when he recognizes that my non-Christ-centered activities have caused me great trouble. I was was a God-fearing man, but I hated Jesus. So his non-Christ-centered activities have brought him all this trouble. And here's the point for you and me. That when our our non-Christ-centered activities lead us to troubled times, what are you doing with it? Are you doing with it like Saul did? Are you picking yourself up and are you, you know, pursuing and running after God again? Or are you just trying to brush it away so you can get back to your non-Christ-centered activity? Saul wasn't going back to his non-Christ-centered activity. He wasn't going back to the old man. He was going to let this experience radically transform him. For you and me many times, we like to hang on to our non-Christ-centered activity even though it brings us trouble. We're like a drug addict, because that's what a drug addict does. A drug addict, you know, recognizes and sometimes even sees the hurt and the pain that his actions are causing, but he can't stop the actions. He can't stop the behavior. I'm afraid that in Christianity, all too often, we're like drug addicts. And we've got these non-Christ-centered activities that we do and that we live by and that we've held on to for one reason or another, and they cause us great pain and they cause us great trouble, but we're unwilling to give it up. It's like, I can have Jesus and this. Saul was recognizing in those three days, I can't have Jesus and my non-Christ-centered activity that keeps causing me trouble. It's time for me to give it up. It's time for me to walk away from it. It would be like, you know, you, that recognizing that your anger keeps causing you trouble, but you're unwilling to let Jesus get at it. That would be a great example. Or you recognizing that your you know, sexually immoral activity keeps causing you trouble, but you're unwilling to give it up to pursue Christ completely. Those are two simple examples of what I'm talking about. Where we have non-Christ-centered activity that happens in our lives or thoughts in our lives, but we're unwilling to give them up even though they keep causing us trouble we have to do is come to a place where we're willing to pick ourselves up and begin to walk away from it the day Saul picked himself up off that dirt was the day he started walking away from his non-christ centered activity and started to let Jesus get to the center and heal everything so how do you pick yourself up you got to get honest you got to get honest you got to look at your life and say are my troubles coming from my non-christ centered desires and pursuits And if they are, if they are, then take them to God. Take them to God. During those three days, that's what Saul did. He took it to God. And he came to a place where he even was repentive to God for all the activities that he had done. So getting honest, it might require you to spend a few days in prayer just listening to God. Spending a few days in prayer just, you know, you know, listening to, to the voice of God in prayer, maybe even fasting like, like Saul did. Take, you got to decide at some point, like, is this non-Christ-centered activity worth it in my life? Or is it worth everything to get free from it? That's what Saul was. He was at a point, obviously, he was blind. I got it. Some other things were at work there. 
But man, I guarantee you there was a desperateness in the darkness of those three days that said, I have to change. And he was willing to do anything to see that change happen. Another way of picking yourself up is to meditate on God. Spend time. Maybe spend time with just your eyes closed. Put yourself in the darkness like Saul was and just close your eyes and meditate on God. What would you be doing in that time? Reflecting on his word? If it's anger that gets at you or if it's sexual morality like the two examples I used, then you would want to go to God's word. You would want to look at God's word and what does God's word have to say about my behavior? Close your eyes. Find a... Find the prayer closet of your life. Just close your eyes and listen. Listen to God's voice. And then as God speaks to you like he spoke to Saul, then obey it. And obeying it would mean repenting of it. As Saul was in the darkness for those three days, and he was praying, God, God did speak to him. And he told him about a man by the name of Ananias that was going to come. And Ananias was going to come, he was going to pray for him, and he was going to be healed. See, at the same time that Saul was praying, God was also speaking to Ananias as well. Ananias was just a humbled man, just a simple man. He wasn't anything important, but God spoke to him, and he says to him, I want you to go down to this street, I want you to go to this house, and I want you to go in, and you're going to find this guy named Saul from Tarsus. And then Ananias is like, whoa, time out. I know that guy. I've heard of that guy. You want me to go pray for this guy? You know, God, what this guy's been doing? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Uh, yes, I do. But Ananias, you don't know what he's been doing for the last three days. Ananias hears the report. He goes, he meets with Saul. He walks into the presence, and he, he instantly calls him brother. He lays hands on him, and he prays for him, and Saul's eyes are opened up. It says that it's like scales fell off of his eyes. I guarantee you there was a moment of embrace, a moment of celebration. And Ananias, here's the story of what happened in the three days of darkness. And Ananias is convinced that Saul has committed his life to Jesus 100%. And it even says that he took Saul and he takes him down and he baptizes him into the faith and into the fellowship and into the family of Christ. And then says that Saul, he took the next few days to eat and regain his strength. And then look what happens next in verse 20. After he regains his strength, and immediately he, Saul, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying that he is indeed the Son of God. That's a big transformation. You know, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he, didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains you know, to, the, to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus, they couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. What was the next thing that Saul did to maximize this moment of ignition and to experience this passion that God was trying to infuse into his life and to use it for something that would transform his life and the world that you and me could apply to our lives? Saul had to take immediate action. I love what it said in verse 20, that he immediately began to preach. He immediately took on this new assignment and he went for it. 
He went for it. There's always going to be challenges if you're going to pursue God. Always. Especially if you want to live a passionate life for Jesus. You want to live a life that gets ignited by God's spirit for a purpose, to go out and do something great for God, you're going to find challenges. I guarantee you, the first day Saul walks into the synagogue and stands up in front of them and starts preaching Jesus, that blew some of their minds away. They weren't expecting him to preach Jesus. They were expecting him to get up there and preach against Jesus. But Saul, what does he do? He takes a couple of days to regain his strength, and then immediately, he doesn't waste time. He doesn't dilly-dally around. He doesn't go, oh, man, I need to go to, like, a couple of courses about Jesus. You know, maybe I could just, I need to go sit with some of the apostles, or I need to go get around some of the guys who really know. You know, all I had was this no-name dude called Ananias who came my way. Right? This is no-name guy. I've never even heard of him before. You know, where are the big-name guys? I need to meet with them before I do anything significant. No. He gets out there, and he takes the challenges, and he goes after it. That's what I love about him. That's what I love about him. He, he's got this big moment where Jesus speaks to him, and he's got this little moment where Ananias shows up. But he doesn't underestimate the small voice of God spoken through Ananias. He doesn't overestimate the massive voice and go crazy with it. He values both. He values this moment where Jesus spoke to him, and he values this moment where God spoke to him through Ananias. And he activates this faith, and he goes on to do something incredible. This no-name guy, Ananias, has the ability to transform and change his life. You might be an Ananias to somebody today. God might want to try to use you in that way by going and praying for someone else today. By being a part of their life, by encouraging them, by speaking life into them. Just like nobody knew a guy by the name of Mordecai, Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. I mean, come on. What kind of a name is that anyways? But he was the preacher who spoke when Billy Graham gave his life to Christ. You don't hear about that guy anymore. Just like you didn't hear much about Ananias anymore. But sometimes it's the small voices in our life that we need to take action on. It's the small moments in our life that we need to take action on. Not always the bright, shiny ones that knock you off of your horse. Well, that one, Saul picked himself up. But the smaller voice, he had to still take immediate action on. So don't wait Don't wait for the thunderclouds to to clap and the lightning to flash and God to do something that's so out of the ordinary for you to take action because honestly, that doesn't require a lot of faith. What requires a lot of faith is when the small voice of God comes, when the whisper of God comes. The whisper of God in his word that brings direction and you take immediate action on it because you recognize my life isn't lined up with God's word. Right? The whisper of God that comes through the moment of a sermon when in passing thought I say something and then the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of it and deposits it into your heart and you can't get away from it. That whisper of God at that moment that seemed so insignificant but yet it was exactly what you needed to take immediate action to see God do something great. The whisper that comes through the simple prayer of one believer to another believer. Sometimes it's more about the the minor voice of God that comes through one another that we need to take immediate action on and get excited about and see God do something great in our lives. What caused 
Saul to take immediate action. Yes, he had that, he had that voice from Ananias, but there was also something that, that happened in his heart. And that was, that was this, that Saul had his eyes opened to his true kingdom stature. His eyes were opened up and Saul saw himself that he wasn't just striving to climb the ladder of the Pharisees to become maybe the high priest someday. But he had his kingdom stature changed in the moment. That moment of blindness and that moment of darkness, that moment of seeking after God. The voice of Jesus spoke to him and basically tells him, Saul, what you're pursuing is death, but what I have for you is life. Your stature is so much greater than anything you ever could dream and or imagine. And that's the same thing that God wants to do for you today. He wants to open up your eyes and help you see what your true stature is in God's kingdom. It'll help you take immediate action if you can stop for a moment and you can look into the heart of God and God can help you to see who you really are. That's what transformed his life. He says, you're going to be a man who is the missionary to the Gentiles. You're going to stand before kings. You're going to say things in my name that you never dreamed possible. But there's going to be a great cost as well. And Saul looks at him and says, yes and amen. May it be so. I will be your messenger. And he steps up to the plate the very first day. And he starts taking action. That's, that's faith. Saul. He doesn't start by preaching what he used to know. He starts by preaching now what he's discovered. What did he discover? Jesus. When he preached Jesus, lives were transformed. In fact, people were blown away. It said that they, were, they, couldn't, they couldn't refute. They couldn't, they couldn't argue. They, they couldn't even hardly comprehend how much knowledge he had about the intimacy of Christ. And when he preached Jesus, lives were changed. It's the same thing for you today. That when we live a life for Christ, by Christ, and in Christ, we live a life that transforms lives. But you've got to take action on it. You can't just wait around and hope people see Jesus. Paul stepped up to the plate, Saul, Saul stepped up to the plate, and he goes, I'm preaching Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of it anymore. And, it's, and the message started transforming people for you and me. Step up to the plate and be bold with your faith and let people know that Jesus is alive inside of you and see what will happen. Take immediate action with your faith and don't just let it sit there. So don't overlook the small ways that God's trying to communicate to you today. Ask God to show you, show you how, you, how, how he sees you, what your true stature is. And then do, do what Saul did often. He told his story often. We know that because in Acts Acts chapter 9 is when it initially happens, but Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, the same story is told over and over again. Saul, he becomes Paul. He had two different names. He ends up going by Paul for the rest of, his, rest of the journey that we know him, but he doesn't stop telling his story. Keep telling your story. Keep telling your story, right? God's got something to do with your story. Well, the ignition, the ignition of God is always to leave a people transformed and changed. God wants to ignite you and me. I want you to know this today, no matter who you are. Know this, that Jesus knew Saul's name even when he was running against him. 
God knows your name. He knows right where you're at today. Right? And Jesus called him by name when he was hunting down those to kill. God knows right where you're at. And if he can meet Saul where he was at and transform his life, he can meet you where you're at and he can transform your life. So, God wants to ignite you, but he wants to ignite you not just for you. He wants to ignite you for what you can do for others. So would you come before God today with a heart like Saul had in the darkness for three days, just pursuing God with, a, with an authentic worship, with an authentic prayer, with authentic hunger? Would you just come before him and just say, God, would you open my eyes up to the true stature of who I am with you? Would you speak to me? Would you speak to me, God, and stir inside of me a passion for you like maybe I've never had before? Would you help me to, you know, to, to get up off the ground and start living a life for you like you asked me to? Leave the old behind. And would you help me, God, to take immediate action to be the man or to the woman that you asked me to be? I want to be that person so badly, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with passion to pursue you again. Fill me with passion to proclaim you again. Fill me with the passion. Ignite my heart so that I can go out and ignite others. Let's come before God with that kind of attitude. Why don't you stand with me today? And let's spend the next few moments in worship. So Lord, you are the igniter of our heart. You are the igniter of our soul. Lord, you are the one who brings fresh life. You're the one who stirs new life in us. You're the one, God, who changed me from who I was to who I am. And, you know, God, who, who you're wanting me to be. God, thank you for that, that you never stop. That, Lord, there's not just one ignition moment, but there's multiples that take place throughout our journey to empower us and inspire us to be the men and the women that you've called us to be. And today, today, Lord, we heard about one more. Let us pick ourselves up, leaving the old behind, and let us take immediate action to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And may it start here in this auditorium so that we can take it out there to our world. Jesus, lead us and guide us. Blind us today with your presence. Let my eyes be totally consumed with your presence. And let all the other distractions of this world quickly fade away into the darkness so that I might touch you and that you might change me. In Jesus' name, amen.